I want to start the sermon by asking three questions that are related. The first question is this, out of all the things that Jesus could have left behind, a government, a hospital, a school, why did he create the church? I mean, other than for potluck suppers, why? Second question, as you hear the news lately, are you at least mildly concerned? I mean, every day the media is using phrases like collapse, depression, 1929, and we know that the media would never exaggerate anything, so it's got to be true, right? Are you nervous watching your retirement plans fluctuate with the Dow Jones? Or wondering if your job is going to be there tomorrow? And that's just the financial news we're hearing. Then there's all the tragedies that happen all over the east side every single day. Too many kids crying at night because mom and dad are getting a divorce. Too many men glued to a computer screen looking at electronic sex. Too many lonely people wondering if anyone cares about them. Not to mention all the global issues we face of poverty and injustice and the fact that today alone, before you and I go to sleep, 20,000 kids will die of starvation around the world. Why did Jesus form the church? When you look at the news, are you worried? And my third question is, what do those first two questions have to do with each other? That is, in this moment in history, what would Jesus want his church to do? How would Jesus want us, First Press Bellevue, to respond to what's going on in the world all around us? Well, let me take a guess that what he wouldn't want us to do would be to retreat in fear. I don't think that's what he'd want. After I graduated from college, I worked as an intern at a church, and as part of that, I lived with a family. And the day I was supposed to move in, both the husband and wife were at work, so I went to the wife's office to pick up the key. And she said to me, oh, by the way, we have a dog. And it's big. And it bit the mailman last week. <laughs> and it likes women, okay, but it hates men. But maybe if you take some food, it might not bite you. So I did what every brave male would do. I got my sister, gave her some Ritz crackers, and sent her in first. <laughs> I'm just guessing that's not how Jesus would want us to respond to what's going on in the world all around us. I think what Jesus wants is for us to push back on all of those problems and defeat them. And I know that many of you, as you come here today, you're, you're worried about your finances, you're worried about your job, some of you are worried about your employees. I mean, I get those fears, I get that last fear. The church has employees too, I understand that. But I believe Jesus gives us a way to watch the evening news without worry and without fear and instead have confidence, courage, and joy to push back on all of those fears that push on us. Sort of like a story I, I just heard about a guy who dies and shows up in heaven and he's kind of a wimpy looking guy, so St. Peter asked him, have you ever done anything that you're proud of? And the guy said, yeah, actually once I saw a bunch of really mean looking guys picking on this woman, so I walked up to the biggest one and I ripped the earring out of his pierced ear and I said, if you don't leave her alone, you're going to have to answer to me. St. Peter said, wow, when was this? The guy said, mm, about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> about it. I think Jesus would want us to be like that guy. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, that guy died. That's not a very good analogy. No, actually, I meant it. It, it wasn't just to get a, a laugh, which is good because some of you didn't laugh. <laughs> There's a point. A couple years ago, I read to you from what's called the Presbyterian Book of Order. It's the rule book for Presbyterians. 
But it also has some great theology, especially at the very beginning. It, it trails off a bit at the end. The author seems to have lost the narrative thread, but <laughs> start strong. It says this, the church is called to be a sign to the world of the new reality made available in Jesus. That sins are forgiven. The dividing walls of hostility are torn down. The needs of the poor and the oppressed are met. Those in bondage are set free. That's the role of the church. And then it has this great line. The church is called to undertake this mission even at the risk of losing its life, trusting in God alone as the author and giver of life. Those lines get me out of bed every morning. This crazy vision that Jesus had that there could be a community of people who lived life so against the grain, so radically for him, each other, and for the world, so counter to a culture of fear, addiction, and intimidation that the kingdom of this world would become the kingdom of our God. And when we live for that, when that's our priority, when that's our focus, when that's what occupies our thoughts and our time, there is no recession that scares us, no crisis that can intimidate us, no thing we fear to lose. We become free and bold and unafraid, just like the early Christians were. And that's the power paradox we've been talking about this fall, that when we surrender ourselves to Jesus, we experience his power. And what Jesus says is that when what we surrender is our passions and our concerns and instead take on God's passions and concerns, what we get back is confidence and joy and we defeat fear. Because you see, if, if what our passions and concerns are, if what we're really focused on day in and day out is that American trinity of success, comfort, and happiness, well then we're setting ourselves up for pain because we are just one economic downturn away from losing those things. A couple of bankers make some bad decisions and poof, they're gone. But if we surrender our passions and concerns to God and trust that he will provide for our needs, maybe not our wants, but our needs, and then ask him to make us passionate about the things that he is passionate about, we don't care what the evening news says because we're not focused there. That's not what is occupying our thoughts or our time. We don't have enough thought space left because we are so focused on what God is doing, we don't care what's going on in the evening news. We don't, we don't have time to remember our fears and our concerns. We are focused on God's concerns instead. And that means that we are guaranteed to get what we want because you know what? God is bigger than Wall Street. And he always gets his way, and he will take care of us along the way. And what is God passionate about? Jesus says it in the passage we just read. He says, my mission is to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, God is passionate to rescue his people in this world from the devil's snares. And he is so passionate about that rescue operation that he launched it himself by coming in the person of Jesus to rescue the kid who is crying because her parents are getting divorced, and the widow who lost her land, and the people who are lonely and wonder if anyone cares about them, and to rescue you and me from our fears. God's passion is to make his kingdom come on earth just as it's being done in heaven. And if that's what we're passionate about, not our stuff, then we have nothing to fear because God is going to get what he wants in the end. We're on the winning team. Surrender your passions and your concerns to Jesus, and you won't have time to focus on your fears and your worries. And that's what the church is supposed to be. A community of people who have surrendered our passions and concerns and taken on God's passions instead. A community who loves and cares for each other, and then whose common life together spills out into the world as we move into the world to heal it. 
And God has been forming that community since the very beginning of the Bible. And it starts way back, we're, just, we're not 12 chapters into the Bible, and God says to a man named Abraham, take everything you've got and go to a land that I'll show you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, did you catch that last line? Right here at the very beginning, what is God doing? He is forming a community of people to go out and heal the world. Abraham's family becomes a nation of Israel. Jesus is born in Israel. He starts the church and all the way down through history to you and me. And what did Abraham do when God said go? He went. Now, I always imagine there must have been at least a little more conversation than actually got written down. I and mean, I sort of picture Abraham saying something like, okay, God, let me get this straight. You want me to leave everything, travel across the desert to someplace I've never heard of, and you're not even going to tell me where it is. And God said, uh-huh. And then Abraham might have said something like, well, now how am I supposed to tell my wife that? God would have said, that's your problem. But you see, just like you and me, Abraham faced an uncertain future with unknown financial outcomes. But he trusted that God would provide for his needs, and he went and he got on board with what God was doing and what God was passionate about. And God blessed him. But notice, God didn't bless him just so that Abraham could enjoy it himself. God blessed him so that Abraham could bless the world and heal the world. And that's what we're called to be. A pilgrim people whose passions line up with God's and who move out and heal the world in Jesus' name. And this isn't just for when times are easy or when times are good. No, I think it's especially for when times are uncertain, just as they were for Abraham. This is not the time for God's people to, to retreat. It's the moment for, it's for moments like these that Jesus formed the church to push back on all of those fears that push on us. And First Press Bellevue, you do this so well. Today's our mission fair. Every one of those tables out there represents a way that we together as a community are feeding the hungry, providing education, bringing justice to the oppressed, and doing it in Jesus' name so folks know the God who loved them enough to die for them. There's a whole bunch of people out there who are pushing back on the fears and the worries of this world, and as a result, they are filled with confidence and courage and joy. So how do we surrender our concerns and our passions to God so that we can forget about our worries? Well, it could start with just praying. Lord, I surrender my passions and concerns to you. Give me your passions instead. The other thing you could do is ask God to show you ways that you can be part of his rescue operation just in your day-to-day -day life. You don't have to add anything to your schedule, just daily. I just heard about a mail carrier named Rose Marie, and for the first seven years of her job, the only thing she cared about was delivering the letters as quickly as possible so she, so she could get it over with. But then she met Jesus. And in her words, from then on, I looked at my route in a different way. She said, I began to listen to the people along my route. I heard domestic abuse in this house and joy in that house because of a birth. I heard celebration because of a wedding here and grief because of a death there. So now I started to spend time listening to people and trying to comfort them and, and praying with them. At one point, she, she stopped and saw some kids who were locked outside of their home in 10 degree weather because they forgot their keys. And, Mom and dad were at work, and she remembered a couple down the street that had once said to her, if there's anything the kids on this block need, send them here. So she sent them to that couple. She's been doing this for a lot of years. When some of her patrons were interviewed, they said she's a breath of fresh air to us. We look forward to seeing her every day. Some of the homebound people said she's the only contact we have with the outside world. She is so important to our lives. 
You see, Rosemarie isn't just a letter carrier. She is partnering with Jesus in his rescue operation in this world. And now going home to watch TV is no longer the highlight of her day. Instead, it's being on an adventure with God. And I've got a hunch that Rosemarie is not too worried about what she's seeing in the news these days because what she's really focused on, what she's really passionate about, are the people in her route. Doesn't have time to worry about the other stuff. So who might God be calling you to love? How might he be calling you to partner with him in his rescue operation daily, just in the stuff you already do? I mean, maybe it's just to love someone right in your own home. You may start there. I have a friend who says that when his kids were younger, his wife would say to him, when I see you vacuuming, I feel closer to you. When I see you washing dishes, I feel romantic. When I see you bathing the kids, I feel physical desire for you. So he made sure that they had the cleanest kids in California. <laughs> now their kids are grown in high school, but he recently said, you know, I still forget this lesson to serve my wife over and over again. Just not too long ago, his wife asked him to move some boxes, and he did, but he was really grouchy about it. He felt bad about that later, so he came back to his wife and said, hey, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I want to make it up to you. How about if I give the kids a bath, huh? <laughs> Sometimes the person God's calling us to rescue is right in front of us every day. And the more concerned we are about them, the less concerned we are about our fears and our worries. A third way that you can train your heart to care about what God cares about would be to sponsor a child at the Center for Champions in Rwanda. You just saw it on the video. Together as a church through the Ripple Effect campaign, we provided funds to build the building. Now I believe God would issue another invitation if you want to take it. For $27 a month, you can help give a child who would otherwise be scraping for food and living under bridges, you can give that child food, clothing, shelter, and an education so they can support themselves. $27 a month covers half the cost, so you can co-sponsor a child with someone you know, or just take half and someone else in this church will take the other half. And as you read the updates about that child's progress, your heart will be more attached to that child, you'll be a little more free from the stuff that you worry about because you'll be focused in a different place. Last spring when we were in Rwanda, there was one afternoon where the whole team was out doing a bunch of different stuff. But I was at the compound where we were staying, and there was this big group of kids, a lot of kids in the courtyard. Greg Milliken, our youth pastor here, he was also there, and he came up to me and he said, do you know who these kids are? And I said, no. And he said, these are your guys. These are the guys you've been working for for three years. They're going to the Center of Champions tonight. So I went out and started shaking hands with each one of them. And, you know, like, like many of you, my wife and I have been giving to this campaign. So like a lot of you, we, we felt invested in these kids. And I wanted to shake every hand. But I was having a hard time doing it because I kept bursting into tears. Which, for an emotionally repressed person like me, is embarrassing. It was just kind of sloppy, you know, out of control. So I had to, but I had to surrender all that because I couldn't help it. I mean, I, I, just, I don't think I've ever seen so much joy in my life. They had these huge smiles on their faces, and they were talking a mile a minute. They were bouncing off the walls with joy. And that's not a figure of speech. They were actually bouncing off the walls <laughs> with joy. Because they were getting on a bus to go sleep in a bed for the first time in their lives and have three meals in one day, something that has probably never happened to them before. And they also knew that they were going to go get an education so that they could support themselves. Well, as I was shaking their hands, I, I thought, man, where's the rest of the team? They need to see this. They're a part of this, too. They've been given to this, too. And, and then I got one of those thoughts that I knew was God, and it said, every person on that team will get their moment. Trust me. 
But Scott, this moment is for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I remember that three years earlier when we'd been in Rwanda, I had seen another group of street kids, eight and nine-year-olds, working as prostitutes just to buy food and survive. But now I see in kids just like them who have literally been plucked from death into life, from darkness into light because of you, First Press Bellevue. You did that. You literally saved their lives. Well, after they were on the bus and left, Greg and I went back to the room that we were sharing, and I kept trying to say something, but every time I'd try to talk, I'd start to cry again. So finally, Greg said, I think you need some alone time with Jesus, and he left. <laughs> it's a little weird when your boss starts crying on you, right? So I, I lay face down on the floor, and I, I literally cried this little puddle of tears. And I kept saying the same thing over and over to God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Five and a half years ago, I was concerned, I was, I was confused, I was, I was scared, I was a little angry at you, God, because you were sending me to this, from the comfort of California to this scary church in Bellevue. You know, you're not actually scary, but I didn't know that then, right? You could have been scary. Might have had to send my sister in here with Ritz crackers, right? <laughs> but that night, I said to God, thank you. You knew my heart better than I knew. And I know that on my deathbed, when I am reviewing top moments in my life, I know that moment in the courtyard, looking at the smiles on their faces, is absolutely going to be one of them. I felt so close to God and so privileged to be part of his rescue operation and those kids alongside all of you. And if in that moment someone had come up to me and said, you know what, I'll make you a deal. If you are willing to live the rest of your life in this little teeny apartment and only have the bare essentials of food and clothing, I'll make you a deal. If, you're, if you'll do that, I'll make this feeling permanent. In that moment, I would have said, deal, cheap at twice the price, because it was one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life. Now, my heart has drifted since, as hearts are prone to do. And I still have attachments to my stuff. And like many of you, I get a little worried when I see the news these days. But I'm closer closer to caring for what God cares about, and therefore less focused on the things that make me anxious and worried. Five and a half years ago, I surrendered to God and came here. Then a little later, along with a lot of you, I surrendered some of my money to build the Center for Champions. I surrendered some of my passions and concerns, and now I'm a little more free from fear because I'm more focused on God's passions and God's concerns. So how about you? How can you surrender your passions and take on God's instead? You could start by praying this prayer, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. After the service, wander around the booths out there and see if one of them has your name on it. Stop by the table for Rwanda and sponsor one of those kids. <clears throat> because you see, when we surrender our passions to God and take on his passions instead and push back on all of that fear that pushes on us, we don't care what the evening news brings because we're on Jesus' side and we know how this story ends. We know that he's going to win the day. It is the ultimate, my dad is bigger than your dad deal. Right? Because if we are about God's business, we know that we are on the winning team. And that means that there's no recession, no health problem, no relationship problem, no thing that can separate us from him and from his purposes for our life. And the more we care about what he cares about, the less we have to fear because the things that are closest to our heart can never be taken away. Now, if what we're passionate about and focused on is the stock market, we may be in trouble. But if what we're really invested in is making up there, come down here, then we are golden. Because God is way bigger than the evening news. 
To paraphrase a hymn I love, and I've quoted you before, we've got to understand, and we've got to remember this, this is not Wall Street's world. This is not Bush's or McCain's or Obama's world. This is not the Fed's or Lehman Brothers' world. This is my father's world. And I will not forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, will be satisfied, and earth and heaven will be won. I've read the last book of the Bible. Here's how it ends. We win.